The Bill Myers Show podcast is sponsored by Clouser Drilling. They've been leading the way in Southern Oregon well drilling for over 50 years. Find out more about them at clouserdrilling.com. Welcome to the return of winter, at least uh, for a little while. We'll talk with Greg about that in the outdoor report and more coming up about an hour from now. Although there is the possibility of actually some snow, some cooling and some snow, but nothing that's going to be uh, sticking on the ground. But uh, higher hills, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Could get a little bit more of that. But we'll have the outdoor report coming up for you here in just a, a little bit. 13 after 6 to join in, 770-5633-770-KMED. While the weather was so beautiful over the weekend, I just kind of made hay. I uh, spent uh, most of Saturday doing uh, mechanical work on the uh, on the van again. I told you like a couple of months ago when I got it back, got the remote uh, or the, uh, the the transmission rebuilt. And it took like a year and a half to do this. And so then I decided, well, I'm not into the camping season, so the heater is always a problem. So I took the heater box out, took the dash out, and then uh, rebuilt the heater box and put the new foam in it. These are the things you do with a 42-year-old vehicle, right? And so while you have the dash, then you start figuring out all the other things that need to get done while you have the dash out. Okay, the grounds are, are bad. Some wiring over here is a little shaky. This part's broken. And then uh, I, I think finally I'll have it back on the road within a week or two, you know, but it was a, it, it was a productive Saturday for me. And you know how uh, so much of our lives these days, especially when it comes to being online or else in my particular case, broadcasting and online too, so much of it feels etheric. You know, it's like nothing that you can really point at. Yeah. You can look at the Facebook live, I suppose uh, where we are and say, Hey, Hey, yeah, that's me. This is what we, uh, we did that day, but it's like, it's here and gone, you know? Sometimes there's just really uh, a great sense of satisfaction you get with uh, working with your hands and clipping stuff and scraping your knuckles and doing, you know, all the other things. And so that went uh, that went fine. And then Sunday, it's like, all right, then it was time for the, the first real mow of the year and weed whacking and weed whacking and weed whacking. Uh, by, by the way, I've had a decision that uh, when I when I meet the maker someday, I'm going to ask uh you know, dear Laura, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask a question about. Uh, first off, why the mosquito or the housefly? Why did we invent the mosquito and the housefly? Uh, why did, why was that created? And also, why was popweed invented? <laughs> and are you having as much of an infestation of popweed around? Everywhere I looked in my yard yesterday, I probably spent two hours on my knees, and I don't work well on my knees, let me tell you. So I'm on my knees on the little uh, foam pad, and I'm pulling popweeds. Those are the ones with the little, they have the little white flowers on them, but uh, when they get close to dying, even if you try to pull them out, the seeds pop out. So they call them popweeds. I don't know exactly what the official name of it is. I don't think I've seen a year in which there's been more popweed everywhere, in the flower beds, in the uh, backyard, sometimes in the uh, bare, bare spots of the lawn. Like, holy moly. And uh, and I was taking Stan Mapolsky's advice that he always talks about on the Rogue Gardener, which is don't sit there and douse them with the chemical, pull them out. So Stan, I was listening to you. I got on my knees and pulled out. And now my knees hurt and my back hurts. <laughs> but other than that things are good. As far as the news goes over the weekend, the big one nationally, of course, is uh, former President Trump easily cruised to victory. In the uh, nor- in the South Carolina primary, uh, Nikki Haley not even close. It was like uh, more than twenty points apart there. I find it fascinating though that the Democrats are looking at this as a win for Joe Biden because look at Joe Biden got uh, you know ninety seven ninety eight percent of the vote. There's really no challenge going on in the Democratic Party and in, in the Republican Party at least. There's actually a real challenge going on. But all right, I know they're. Well, you know, Joe Joe Biden is kind of getting votes like uh, Leonid Brezhnev did, in which he physically seems to resemble him now. Remember, they? I don't know if you're old enough to remember the old Soviet Union with uh, Brezhnev. They put him up there, and he would look like one of those animatronic bears that was malfunctioning from the from the Disneyland, you know, the Country Bear Jamboree, and he'd be up there in his uh, in his big furry hat, and uh, you could just tell he could barely get his hand up. Hello, comrade. Hello, comrade, as the missiles would go by on the May Day parades. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what our uh, that's what our president is. He gets the same kind of elections as uh, Brezhnev did. He got 98% support. Yay. 
But anyway, it looks like uh, former President Trump is cruising to victory tomorrow. What I understand is the uh, Michigan primary, and he'll just uh, kick tail on that one, too. Speaking of uh, President Biden, though, the uh, Brezhnev of our times here, according to Gallup, Americans' approval of President Joe Biden's job performance has uh, slid another 3%, 38%, just one point shy of an all-time low. He also registers subpar approval ratings for his handling of five key issues. New low of 28% for immigration and readings from 30 to 40% for the situation in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. So there we go. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden Friday announces more than 500 new sanctions on Russia and its war machine in the largest tranche of penalties since Moscow's invasion of Ukraine nearly two years ago. All right. Uh, I was reading some financial blogs that say it's more symbolic, more uh, so than really anything uh, quite useful. So that will be uh, something to keep an eye on. Maybe we'll talk about that more with Dr. Powers as we go visiting where past meets present. That'll be a little bit after eight o'clock this morning. Other Capitol Hill news, Senate is back today from the President's Day recess. The House will be back on Wednesday. And also because they're back, it's another government shutdown week. And uh, five months into fiscal year 2024, Punchbowl News is reporting here, Congress still hasn't approved any of the annual spending bills. Partial government shutdown will occur at midnight Friday if lawmakers don't act. The full government shutdown possible on March 8th. President Joe Biden's State of the Union is March 6th. By the way, we have Republicans that uh, Fox News was reporting that they are discussing uh, maybe not allowing him to have his uh, State of the Union address because President Biden has not submitted a budget on time either. So we're lining up for all sorts of drama. Prepare for being peppered nonstop. Doom, 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 doom. Shut down, shut down, shut down. Republicans bad. Mike Johnson bad. Yeah, just preparing you so that way you know what's uh, going on. An interesting story that I got out of uh, UW. I'm on the uh, on the on this mailing list for University of Washington Medicine News, and of course, medicine is so woke and and hard left now. I I always like to kind of keep an idea on what the medical schools are doing now. And from UW Medicine News, the headline here, future cities must prioritize mental health of young people. More than 70% of the world's children will live in cities by the year 2050, according to UNICEF. Between now and then, urban areas will be a magnet for people 25 and under who seek work, education, and housing. While cities offer a range of services and opportunities, according to the UW, They have also demonstrated negative impact on the mental health of children, adolescents, and young adults. How interesting that the liberal medical world will actually admit that living in a city is not necessarily psychologically sound. And you think about this as as this same liberal-controlled, if you want to call it the the globalist avatar uh, right now, tends to look at we people who live in a semi-rural or even small cities and, you know, arguably Ashland, Medford, Grants Pass, Central Point, Eagle Point, uh, you know, we're all living in small cities, even though we think of them as the big city. But generally speaking, we're small. We're small potatoes here in southwest Oregon, right? But even then, what the UW Medicine is saying, it's pretty clear that uh, people go mentally ill when they're living in a city for for a long time. And yet those same people that say that it's not mental, it, it's not mentally healthy to be living in really deep, dark, dense cities. Everything about these people tends to be focusing on turning us into ever more dense cities. Like even former uh, Governor Brown's executive order. Remember that? The, uh, Climate-friendly, equitable communities. You're going to live downtown, and you're going to own nothing. You'll be 15 minutes away from everything, but but you'll be happy as you eat your mealworm sandwich. But I find it interesting. You know, back to what UW Medicine saying. A new survey of experts. Oh boy, 
every time you hear experts say, don't you want to just uh, throw up in your mouth a little bit? Uh, experts and young people from 50 countries recognize the global cultural shift. And they're offering suggestions about how to make cities safer and more welcoming for the population. And this paper emphasizes that young people must play a role in designing that future. So they want more mental health services for young people. Rather than perhaps looking at the world that is being built for them, forcibly constructed for them, actually makes them mentally ill. Don't you find that interesting? This whole idea, the UW says that the future cities must prioritize mental health, mental health treatment. Well, if you were really going to prioritize the mental health of young people, you wouldn't want to create a world in which the only option is to be forcibly put into a soul-sucking large city. Now, yeah, a large city can also be exciting at times, too. I remember as a young man living in, uh, in Seattle back in the early 1980s, I uh, did that for about uh, five, six years and, uh, you know, enjoyed my time there. But I was glad to have gotten the hell out of there. <laughs> and I never looked back once I got in my 30s. You know, it's just like, okay, hey, I'm out of here. There's no place to raise the kids. And that was before they had all the uh, homeless and the derelicts, you know, out on the uh, on the street. Yeah, they had some homeless there. But now and then, you always had a little bit of that. But it was nearly not, you know, the, uh, the kind of problems that they're uh, suffering today. But... Yeah, there's a, a little bit of this push-me-pull-you within the uh, leftist culture, the control grid here. On one hand, they're saying, well, it's obvious we're all going to be living in the city as we all go through the Great Reset and the Wildlands Project. And, you know, having cities you know, spreading out into rural lands is bad, right? You know, that's bad. But at the same time, well, all these kids go moving into the city, they become mentally ill, yeah, because it's kind of soul-sucking, and in the city is where you're going to find the sort of things that say, you know, your gender is so, you know, you're just considering yourself, uh, you know, uh, a male because you have body parts, you know, male body parts. I mean, that is so, oh, I don't know, uh, 2015. That is so 2015. And the cities are filled with those kind of people, right? Cities are filled with those kind of people there, and reality is not as it seems. We wouldn't want to get to the core of the soul-suckingness of the culture, right? You want to do that. You just want to have more mental health professionals around you, and then the cities will be fine. Here, take your happy pill. Take your uh, Elon Musk neural link, you know, the brain implant, and we can make you love your servitude. <laughs> uh, I'm only half kidding and kind of laughing ironically, and I imagine maybe you are too. Uh, this is the Bill Meyer Show on KMED KCMD. 770-5633. What's on your mind this Monday? Yep. Hi, it's John at Wellburns Weapons. The only thing better than shooting is shooting with a suppressor. Wellburns is Southern Oregon's suppressor headquarters, stocking models from Silencer Code, Dead Air, Griffin Armament, Rugged, Q, Thunderbeast, and many more. And we can order practically any suppressor on the market. Check in with us for monthly incentives to save on suppressors, too. Come see the suppressor experts. Wellburn's Weapons on Crater Lake Highway, just south of White City. Winter in Oregon. It means rain. Waterlogged soil expands as it saturates, and that pressure can impact your home's foundation, sometimes even allowing the rain to get into your home. Terra Firma Foundation Systems can help. We've got your back. Terra Firma is the Northwest solution for safer foundations and dry basements and crawl spaces. One easy call can protect your home this winter. Click GoTerraFirma.com, schedule a free evaluation, CCB 173547. That's GoTerraFirma.com. Hi, I'm Henry Winkler. My eyes are very important to me. My eyes connect me with everything I love. I loved my late father-in-law dearly. He always lit up a room, but his vision dimmed with age. He had age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. And since partnering with Apellus, I've learned there's an advanced form of dry AMD called geographic atrophy, or GA. His struggle with vision loss made me want to help others know about GA's warning signs. For some, colors appear dull or washed out. For others, hazy or blurred vision make it hard to see details, like fine print on price tags. Many have trouble seeing in the dark, making driving at night difficult. GA gets worse over time and cannot be reversed. 
If you think you have GA, don't wait. Treatments are available. Ask a retina specialist about FDA-approved treatments for GA. And go to gawontwait.com. Do you owe the IRS back taxes you can't afford? Are your finances underwater? First Response Resolution in Eagle Point solves tax problems. Their CPA will represent you with the IRS and defend your rights as a taxpayer. Visit firstresponseirs.com to schedule your free consultation. Siskiyou Pump Service and Rotary Drilling Company takes pride in ensuring their customers get fresh, clean water from field to tap. Here's a recent review from Mike. I am so grateful for Siskiyou Pump and Rotary Drilling Company. This outfit gets a 10 out of 10. When they say they are going to do something, you can trust that it's going to get done to the highest standard. The drilling team knows their stuff and developed a well, producing 28 gallons per minute. Providing fresh water for Rogue Valley residents for over 50 years. Visit SiskiyouPump.com. Hi, I'm Charlene, owner of American Industrial Door, and I'm on 106.7 KMED. 28 after 6. I appreciate you waking up here this Monday. Next hour at 7.30, we're going to have a talk with uh, State Representative Kim Wallen. And something I want to dig into is, first off, what is the deal for Measure 110? There appears to be a tentative deal on fixing Measure 110, and a lot of that tends to be kind of tied to the counties, in our particular case, Jackson and Josephine County, having... The ability to have drug diversion. In other words, you have enough treatment that you can uh, divert people from uh, their charges if they actually go and get treatment. And I'll, I'll get the latest from that with State Rep. Kim Wallen. I'm sure she's uh, you know knee-deep in all the uh, controversy about that. And there's another story which is bubbling, and I think Kim may have uh, some comment on this too, is about uh, campaign finance limits. Campaign finance reform is a big part of a short session, which I found really interesting. Boy, you'd think that'd be something that you would have in the longer one, which you're going to argue amongst uh, the parties about where to go here. But there was a three-hour public hearing about House Bill 4024. This happened on Friday in the House Rules Committee. The Oregonian reporting on this one. And um, the House Rules Committee, lawmakers, union leaders, lobbyists for the business groups testifying in support of House Bill 4024. Now, my concern, though, is that if you have union leaders in favor of a campaign finance reform, usually that means that unions aren't touched. So they'll limit, let's say, uh, individual contributions to maybe $3,000. But the unions are still allowed to pretty much buy any Democratic politician that uh, that wishes. You know, that's been my concern here. So I'm really going to have to find out with uh, with Kim what she's thinking about this one. Now, I know that there is a, a proposal for a ballot measure that has uh, been bubbling in the background there, too, which would be much more restrictive. So needless to say, the, uh, the communist-controlled unions that own half the politicians in this state and are able to pretty much uh, you know, buy them their offices, and this includes the governor and, and various other things, they're probably going to want something that makes it look like, yes, we're trying to have good, fair government campaign finance reform, but it wouldn't really do anything to stop the unions from buying the politicians in Oregon their offices in the Democratic Party. This is way too important. You know, I've talked about how one of the reasons it's very difficult to reform the state of government is that essentially most of the Oregon government is bought and paid for by public employee unions. Nobody will do anything against the teachers union. Nobody will do anything that might actually make SEIU wake up and burp. It's just not, you just don't do this because this is the hand that feeds them. And yet uh, they realize that uh, people outside the unions recognize this is uh, a really corrupt process, <laughs> right? You know, they, we know it's a corrupt process. It's obviously a corrupt process. And so we got to do something. We have to do something about it. And I guess this is the something that will be the preferred way. And I can't help but think, and I'll talk with Kim about it. I'm sure Kim will have a better, a better bean on this. I didn't get a chance to read all 30 or something pages of it, but I'm just reading the reporting on it. But uh, if this House bill is being supported by business interests and unions, something tells me that it's about uh, keeping the same permissive system that limits little people in our ability to actually uh, donate to, uh, to, to our favorite candidates 
but pretty much leaves businesses and the union rackets untouched. We're still with a great advantage, let's put it that way. But I'll talk with uh, State Rep. Kim Wallen about that about an hour from now, okay? All right. Let's catch up all the rest of the news now. 632 KMD, KCMD. News sponsored by Caveman Heating and Air. It's the climate and we control it. Call Caveman Heating and Air at 541-476-0009 or cavemanheating.com. Good morning. I'm Molly Smith with your NBC5 morning news update. Two people are dead after an apparent murder-suicide in South Medford Thursday night. Medford Police Department says the two people, who have not been identified, died Thursday night at the Charles Point Apartments on Highgate Street. That's the same apartment complex where two men died in an unrelated shooting in early December. MPD Lieutenant Jeff Kirkpatrick says he would not release any information about the deceased and declined an official interview. But he did provide NBC5 News with this statement. Quote, out of respect for the family of a very delicate and difficult situation, we will not be doing a release on the case from Highgate Street from last night. There is no public safety aspect to this case. Thank you for understanding. End quote. And the 14th annual Girls Rock STEM Workshop was held at Grants Pass High School Saturday. The free event features eight different classes for girls ages 9 to 13 to choose from, including topics on the solar system, the power of dancing, geology, videography, and more. Chair of the Girls Rock Committee, Elaine Booth, wants to encourage young girls to consider STEM for their future. The committee says that with the help of volunteers, donations, and sponsors, over 1,700 girls have been able to attend the program over the last 14 years. For local news anytime, you can head to our website, kobi5.com, or to our Facebook, KOBI TV NBC5. And that's a look at your morning headlines. For NBC5 News, I'm Molly Smith. Have a great Monday. With so many working and doing business from home, it's good to know there's a community business center to help. A Street Print and Parcel is a one-stop shop for everything from large format printing and scanning to blueprints, architectural plans, and shipping. Their Studio 10 expansion offers passport photos, photo mounting, fine art scanning, art reproductions, signs and banners, negative and slide scanning, canvas prints, and so much more. Located in Ashland on A Street across from Ashland Hardware. Their motto, we create it, print it, pack it, and ship it. A Street Print and Parcel and Studio 10. Hey, it's Lars here with my trusted friend in the real estate market, Jared Hokanson with Hokanson Realty. With the marketplace the way it is today, what are you doing differently? Hey, Lars, great question. We offer our guaranteed sale program where we set a price and a deadline. And if your home doesn't sell during that time, we will buy it. And you combine that with the marketing that we do to get our clients top dollar for the sale of their home. And we sell properties like no one else in Southern Oregon. What does that mean for someone who lists his home or her home today? Lars, for someone that lists today, they can start packing. With our guaranteed sale program and the marketing that we do that is second to none in the market, they will be able to get top dollar for their home and know that they didn't leave any money on the table during this changing market. Thanks, Jared. Call Jared Hokanson today at 541-772-SOLD, 541-772-SOLD, or go online to 541-772-SOLD.com and start packing. Don't miss the Southern Oregon Polar Punch for Special Olympics and your chance to step out of your comfort zone to benefit youth and adults with disabilities. Get your team together and jump into an unheated outdoor pool, all for a great cause. It's cold enough. Are you bold enough? Your support provides athletes with access to sports, activities, wellness programs, community, and much more. Join us Saturday, March 2nd. The fun starts at 11 a.m. at the Rogue Valley Country Club in Medford. Register your team, volunteer, or skip the dip and donate at plungeoregon.org. The Bill Myers Show on 106.3 KMET and 99.3 KCMD. 636, proud to have Curtis Houck back. He's the managing editor at Newsbusters. How the heck are you doing this morning, Curtis? Welcome. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bill. You know, just a uh, case of the Mondays, but, you know, we're surviving. I'm with you, so we're yeah. blessed. Just kind of uh, going out. So, in other words, it's Monday morning. It's, uh, it's I'd, I'd like to say you uh, go through the motions of uh, pretending to care, right? You're trying to work up a, a, a <laughs> some. Well, it's more me just trying to wake up. You know? Yeah, I, don't, I know. I don't really I know. do that. Hey, I, my wife has a mug for me that says "Morning Person's Person." You know, ah, uh, yeah, do that. got it. You know, there's an interesting story bubbling bubbling around that you have been uh, covering 
on uh, Newsbusters, of course, and this has to do with what happened over at CBS News. This was late on uh, Friday. It was it late on Thursday or Friday that they ended up uh, doing this, and there were some uh, budget cuts there, and a lot of reporters were let go. Except, uh, well, Catherine Herridge is not just every an everyday reporter. She was one uh, a reporter making it very difficult for the Biden administration, and oopsie, boom, she's gone, right? <laughs> right. Well, so what happened was Paramount Global, the parent company of CBS, uh, formerly Viacom, uh, instituted some budget cuts across not just CBS News, but across all their platforms. So uh, CBS News decided to target a bunch of people in the Washington bureau, a number of uh, two pretty decent reporters online, uh, one of them that I know pretty well. Uh, and then on-air correspondent, they had Jeff Begay, who was – New York Post had written that he had berated a bunch of colleagues before and dressed down some women, so good excuse to get rid of him. Christina Ruffini, who had done a number of different pop culture and State Department stories, so she was pretty versatile for being young, so that mm-hmm. was surprising. But Catherine Erich, the big one, you know, uh, Catherine Erich, maybe the one reporter in America from a liberal network, from the mainstream media, who Americans trust, and I should say – you know, we'll be talking about the Hunter Biden stuff and how she was pretty intrepid in not just kind of doing a ding-dong ditch effort on Biden family corruption that the liberal media sometimes engage in. Well, they cover it for a news cycle, then they'll you know leave it alone and say, hey, we covered this. But it's not like we have never said anything. Yeah, you say something about it once, and then it the sinks out of sight, right? That's usually the way a story that's uncomfortable for the administration gets yeah. covered there, right? Right. They, that's mm. the way they do it. I mean, sometimes they don't cover stories at all, but a lot of the time they'll cover a story once or twice to just say we did it. But Catherine Ayer just stayed on it. And when we would compare and contrast the network coverage, as we do every day at Newsbusters, we would see that she would have more details. She would have more facts. Um, and also, too, she would cover just general government corruption, you know, stuff about, like, the water at Camp Lejeune or, um, you know, mis- uh, I guess, wait, government waste in the military. So she wasn't just a right-wing attack dog kind of reporter either. She was just a balanced, which we, what we think about is what used to be called a good reporter then. A really right. good report. actual reporting, holding people in power to account, looking out for we, the taxpayers. Very novel concept. I know, I, especially these days, but that was not allowed to stand, apparently, right? So uh, we had to have some backbenchers saved in order for Catherine Herridge to, to get bounced out the door. And seizing her files, you see, that's the part that I found really interesting, too. I can't help but uh, see an interesting, uh, an interesting wrinkle on this one, in this particular case. Yeah, so... Th- this was reported Thursday morning in The Hill by George Washington University law professor, uh, Fox News contributor, Jonathan Turley. People are pretty, probably pretty familiar with him. Yep. He reported, based on his sources, that CBS officials took the unusual step of seizing her files, computers, and records, including information on privileged sources. So now, you know, a lot of the times when there's some sort of snafu or some sort of scandal involving the liberal media, mainstream media, we kind of might chuckle and laugh at their incompetence. But this one has serious implications. CBS has, um, by Friday, seemed ready to cry uncle about this and Mm -hmm. ensure that this wasn't actually going to happen because they messed with the wrong person uh, and enough people raised uh, hell over this. So guess what? You know, um, this is a bad precedent for journalists. I mean, for somebody like Catherine Harridge, you guys think about this. Her sources for these Biden stories, reporting on investigations into Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, these people, you know, they they're part of the regime, probably the people that are investigating this. They're doing this at tremendous risk to their careers and their livelihoods. You know, and when she's dealing with corruption in the military, she's dealing with people that could get court-martialed if mm-hmm. they were caught. Sure. So the idea – so, like, her files and her contacts and her email and her Word documents, um, what, however she organizes her, you know, tidbits of information that she keeps going back decades – is pretty sensitive. It's a reporter's life. And when you're a source like this, you expect the person who you talk to to be able to protect your identity. And, you know, with CBS having seized the files and thought about not giving them back to her or toiling with the idea of going through them, that's pretty bad. You know, some schmuck, some IT person, somebody with an axe to grind, another reporter that could be friends with these folks in the deep state. You know, that's, you know, you could just start snowballing from there. It's, uh, 
it's not good for just basic journalistic principles. And Turley explained that this was unprecedented. So is this is is this not something belongs to them? But you get it. Is this not something that we normally see? And and here's where I'm a little torn on this. And maybe I don't understand the way that a uh, a big time investigative reporter would operate as contrasted with me. One of the uh, challenges most of us when we're employed by our employer, everything that we do with our uh, with our job in, in our work is normally yeah. first and foremost considered property of the company. And is there not a case to be made for that? Might uh, Turley be wrong about this, or is there a different uh, line that gets crossed when it comes to journalism integrity? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And so, for most people in most jobs, you're right. I think that is generally the understanding. Mm-hmm. I think with reporters, that's what Turley explains, that it's different. When it comes to sources, you know, it rests with the reports. It's a matter of trust. And and the thing about what's interesting is the SAG after a union, uh, actually, you know, people know have heard about them with the Hollywood strikes over the last couple of years. Yeah. They actually came to Heritage's defense. Really? And said that, yeah, that this sort of thing is uh, is pretty stunning. This is not the kind of thing that you really see. They called it absurd and deeply concerning, completely inappropriate to lay off a reporter and take the very unusual step of retaining and searching the reporter's files, in, uh, inclusive, uh, including of confidential source identification and information. Um and it's a serious – they called it a serious break with traditional practices. So, um, so folks, I think the, the lesson here is, yeah, for journalists, it's different, especially when it comes to their files that contain information about their sources. You know, so maybe when you're writing up the draft of your story, you know, and most people understand that, like, once a story goes to air or a story is published online, that belongs to the company. Like, right. my articles at Newsbusters, once published, belong to Newsbusters and its parent company, the Media Research Center. But kind of the rough draft information, you know, whatever thoughts that she memorializes after calls with sources, I think the understanding is that kind of rough draft information, just to break it down, make it put in simpler terms, belongs to the reporter because it has sensitive information for her memory. She's talking to a bunch of different people. She has to be able to kind of say, oh, it was this person and this person. Yeah, and and she also has to be able to be responsible in in Catherine Herridge's Catherine Herridge's, uh, place here that you have to be able to guarantee the anonymity. Otherwise, you're never going to get anybody to talk to a reporter off the record ever again. Especially, Especially for these kinds of stories that she did. You know, I think that's really important. Talking about Burisma and talking about, you know, things uh, involving a Biden impeachment or Hunter Biden's life of corruption and ruin, that kind of stuff um, with his laptop and his business dealings or things involving the military, um, involving, you know, the health of servicemen and women, um, mistreatment of veterans, that kind of those kinds of issues. That's pretty serious stuff that the government obviously doesn't want to get, you know, published. Do you think that this is going to lead here, um, uh, Curtis, to uh, more reporters really kind of working on their stuff on their own equipment at home rather than bringing everything into the home computers? And I don't know how things are structured over at Westwood One and CBS, you know, how they end up, uh, you know, how they end up working that. But in some yeah. ways, this you know you'd be silly if you didn't have all of this stuff backed up, and uh, and you, you and you kept the juiciest stuff at home or you know outside of the workplace. I wonder if there's any way that you can get away with doing yeah. stuff like that. I don't know I how they have it structured. The, you know, I think it depends on the way. Yeah, a lot of these contracts are written. You know, by Thursday night, CBS uh, said in a statement that her personal belongings were delivered to her home one week ago, and we are prepared to pack up the rest of our files immediately on her behalf. And they insist that the office she occupied has remained secure since her departure, and they have not gone through her files. But <laughs> as I wrote my one piece of newsbusters, I'm like, does anyone actually believe this? And so, yes, the answer is, I think if you you are an intrepid um, shoestring reporter like Catherine Harridge or one of these networks, and you know, you never know if you're going to be laid off. I guess, especially in the media business, I, I think you would double, triple check. You know where your files are kept. Um, I just think I just think that's standard practice. I think that's really smart. 
to do. Um, but I think a lot of reporters nowadays, at least decent ones, uh, ones that actually care about the profession and protecting their sources, are going to go the extra mile, I think, in the future. Yeah. Um, it's just a really good lesson. It kind of is in the weeds a little bit, but yeah. the story is important in terms of what she was do, what kinds of stories she was doing. Um, and, you know, how reporters, there are still a few out there, but not many, uh, that want to do these kinds of stories and, you know, have fear of being laid off, might want to uh, reconsider how they organize themselves. Curtis Houck is the managing editor at Newsbusters, newsbusters.org. I wanted to uh, to touch on another aspect of this with uh, with Catherine Herridge. You know, you think about Catherine Herridge. You, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not putting all of your most sensitive stuff on the uh, Microsoft Exchange for uh, CBS News, right? <laughs> you know that kind of thing. You know, yeah. The, yeah. And it's like, all right, maybe I'm going to have this in my private Gmail account or do you know you know you know some other you know spend a few bucks and uh, and keep it outside of the of the corporate world. But I was reading another uh, piece, and I have a feeling that uh, you would have some comment on this, being in the media yourself. And what is the current status of the news world, period? Because I'm looking at it uh, economically. It seems like it's paper after paper continuing to go down, and a lot of the the big online firms seem to be uh, pushing up daisies now, too, like Vice, one of the most uh, recent online portals. What do you think is really going on here? Part of me has wondered if uh, if it's if it's a suffering of, hey, you know, um, news is supposed to be free, but you still have to pay somebody to go out there and and gather it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's definitely true. I mean, one of the pieces I saw about Jezebel uh, was that they're struggling because. Um, when one of their allies, this advocacy group, I forget their name, they wanted to get, you know, certain corporations kicked off of Fox News uh, in terms of advertising. They wanted to put pressure on certain companies to remove their ads from Fox News. And ones that actually complied with that didn't just say, no, 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 we're not going to pull out of Fox News. We're just going to pull out of political websites, you know, political groups in general, not advertise at all. And so it's hurting left-wing websites like Jezebel. Oh. And people are like, no, 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 we don't mean that. We just mean Fox News is irresponsible. These people, with these people, are very serious journalists. These people are not, so you should still support them. And you're like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Um, and I think that's kind of the way we're going. And obviously that has really bad input, struggling um, news sites, um, you know, that's serious implications. And I know for us, I mean, you look at uh, the writing, which kind of, I think, fairly monitors and just kind of reports of what's going on in conservative media, uh, went through last week and found that, you know, web traffic for a lot of conservative websites is way down, 70% mm-hmm. in some webs, some instances, because Facebook is, in particular, so Meta, the parent company, is de-emphasizing news in people's timelines. Oh, I've no, I've noticed that big time that, uh, you know, anytime I end up uh, posting or I will never link to an outside source, you know, from Facebook a lot of times because I know they will just automatically crush it and make sure and people won't be able to see anything about exactly. it. But I can at least talk about something and then they can go search something out if they, uh, you know, wish to find it. But, you know, if you make it too easy, Facebook will crush you. I, I do find it interesting that the system is out trying to crush people's interest in news just when news is probably more important than it ever was, Curtis? Don't you find that interesting? Right, that the algorithm for how people's timelines are structured should be kind of dependent upon what people, individual users are interested in, you know? Uh I think that's kind of the way it should be. People should see what they want to see. But that's, as we know, that's not how the left works in in particular. They view things as, no, 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 no. We are going to tell you what to think about. You know, this goes back to a lot of uh, journalism classes and rhetoric classes that I took in college where, you know, the medium is the message and the media and journalism um, traditionally, they view themselves as what we're going to tell you what you need to think about and what we think you should care about, not the other way around. Hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of the way big tech thinks of themselves, too. This is what we want you to care about. Um, the dumbing down of America, I think, you know, you see that with the rise of TikTok, thanks to the Chinese Communist Party. What people care about on TikTok is just the weirdest, you know, 
fads, um, you know, social trends. Like, well, it, it's like, well, it's like, know, like oh, the, TikTok and divorce. Yeah, you know, well, exactly. Or it's or it's like the uh, the idea that uh, you know you uh, you put up uh, uh, dog and cat videos, you're fine. You'll get uh, five million shares. You know those sort of things. But, uh, but I mean, right. yeah, that's you, what people's you feel, conversation is going to be. Yeah, you feel really good, but it's like, are you really uh, talking? And maybe that's the reason why they want distractions rather than any real thinking about what's going on in the uh, government media plantation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What role, though, when it comes to the online uh, challenges of journalism, do you think that uh, the advertising for online uh, ads you know, is not going that well these days, from what I understand. And that would have some real effect on, like, the Vices and the Jezebels and the the local newspapers, too, you know, for that matter, regional newspapers. Yeah, exactly, because local newspapers, yeah, they don't have, you know, folks, if they don't realize, things like classified ads was really how newspapers made their money. And advertisements and those sale flyers that would go in the paper different days of the week, yeah. you know, Wednesdays and Sundays or Fridays, that kind of stuff isn't around anymore. Department stores and malls have gone away. They view themselves as, yeah, their presence is online and building, you know, viewer or uh, listservs that way to send out coupons. Um, we've taken ads off of Newsbusters. Not, I mean, yeah, it may not help us financially, but we think in a way it grew to a certain point just a few years ago was more annoying than anything else. Yeah, sure, it might help us make money, but, like, is the user experience good? Um, So it's really all about that balance. But at the end of the day, people need to realize that, yes, you did subscribe to your local newspaper, right? Yeah. Uh, So it's kind of the same sort of thing. You know, that's why websites like the Daily Wire have their paywall. That's why the Salem conglomerate, so folks like our friends at Red State and Bearing Arms and Town Hall and Twitchy PG Media, those websites have VIP sections. Um, I think that's what a lot of people see as the way forward. The New York Times has that. You know, there's certain free articles, and local news outlets kind of use discretion. Like if there's a shooting or a hurricane, they'll make everything free on that particular topic. So there's ways to like drop the paywall. So it's not kind of like a Berlin Wall situation where nobody's able to ever see anything. And there's different ways where you can give articles to people for free. You can gift a link to someone. Um, so there, I think uh, people that are doing it smart are trying to just constantly innovate. But people that are just kind of stuck in their own ways and people that aren't willing to change in terms of a content perspective. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's the thing with a lot of these left-wing websites. They're, they're realizing that what they're selling constant hysteria about Donald Trump um, and, and... And by the way, constant hysteria constant about uh, about climate change, too, is the other... Uh, climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you name it. You fill in the blank. I mean, uh, just kvetching about whatever, you know, saying conservatives are going to ban IVF, conservatives are going to do this. You know, they want to send rich, white, uh, liberal wine moms, you know, to hide under their bed sheets at night. Um, <laughs> I think people get tired of that eventually because it's a very small subset of the country that that kind of stuff appeals to. Um, but I, I think the main reason to all this to say, I, I just think back to Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, you know, that scene where he says, am I out of touch? And then he says, no, it is the children that are wrong. And I think that's the way the liberal media work. Um, <laughs> they, they realize that they, they refuse to accept that they are the problem. Um, and so we're kind of stuck with. <laughs> you know, there's a business model. No, and- no, no, no. It's we, the American people, who suck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Uh, Curtis, one more question about uh, how to support the media that you want to do. One of the challenges that I have found, and I think that uh, one problem with on, with the shift from print to online journalism is that we're now in this situation where everybody wants a subscription. And you get to the point yeah. where, you know, everybody wants 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks a month. Your, uh, your online entertainment, 5, 10, 20 bucks a month or more. You know, it, you get to the point where there are so many subscriptions that you can't possibly... You know, you're having to pick and choose and only stick with a few. You know, you have to you have to do that. You're not able to get the broad uh, swath of journalism that you might otherwise want if you had the kind of money to be able to have a subscription to absolutely everything. So has there been any motion towards getting some kind of a business model or a platform so that you could have uh, all the online news sources getting together and say, okay, we can charge by the story. You don't have to necessarily go for 
the entire $15 a month uh, subscription for the New York Times or whatever the case might be, whatever it is. But, uh, okay, you'll pay $0.10 cents a story or $0.15 cents a story, and it goes directly you know, to it out of uh, like an online uh, account of some sort. And I'm surprised there's been like micropayments, I guess. For stories, any yeah. any thought on that? Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised there hasn't been more of that. Um, I do know. I believe it was the Miami Herald. Yeah, I think it was the Miami Herald went to a, a model. They, I'm not sure if they kept it or if it was just a trial run or if it just got out of the idea space where you would just pay for the sports section. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you only wanted to read stories, like if you're for the very few that exist, if you're a Miami sports fan. I'm rolling my eyes. Like the idea that you'd be a Miami sports fan instead of a fan for a team for somewhere else. But point is, you would pay for a certain section of the newspaper, this website that people would want to read. And I think that's definitely a possibility, especially for local news sites. Like if you're interested in the high school football um, and you want to support just high school football, and I think that might appeal to like conservatives, for example. Oh yeah, I, I, I get they might that. Say, no, 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 I don't like this or that. But I'm still, it. but I'm still saying though, Curtis, I think there needs to be more of an a la carte approach to the ability to get it. It's like, yeah. okay, here, here's a, here's a story about this. You want to pay it? You want to see it? You're gonna instead of having to subscribe for the whole thing. All right, uh, yeah. give me fifteen cents, ten, fifteen cents, whatever, or a nickel. No. I mean, I know whatever it is, whatever it is, yeah. in that uh, and that there be some way to do fair. that easily with any it's, website, like and they, iTunes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like, kind of like, like getting a song. Yeah. Yeah. Same sort of thing. I think that would be uh, that's where it needs to go because if if everyone's going to insist on having their own individual paywall, we're just going to see more of them go out of business, which means that the bigger get bigger. You know, the ones that are right. know, left behind, that sort of thing. Yeah. But people's budgets are already stretched as it is, given yeah. streaming platforms. It's the same sort of thing. What if there was a thing where you pay for one price and you get a whole bunch of stuff? Oh my gosh, that's cable. Yeah. Well, we might be going back to cable the way it's looking. You know, by the time you end up having 40 streaming services, you're paying more than what the cable was charging you in the first place. So, uh-oh, we're going to reestablish the court here, Curtis. What can I tell you? But uh, I appreciate you coming on here from Newsbusters. Newsbusters.org, always stimulating reporting that's going on there. And I appreciate you holding, uh, well, truth accountable, or truth to power or power accountable, okay? Thank you so much. Always appreciate that. Always, always a pleasure, Bill. Talk again soon. You bet. I'm hoping so. It's uh, 7 o'clock. This is KMED, KMED HD1, Eagle Point, Medford, KCMD, Grants Pass. Don't miss the Southern Oregon Polar Plunge for Special Olympics and your chance to step out of your comfort zone to benefit youth and adults with disabilities. Get your team together and jump into an unheated outdoor pool, all for a great cause. It's cold enough. Are you bold enough? Your support provides athletes with access to sports, activities, wellness programs, community, and much more. Join us Saturday, March 2nd. The fun starts at 11 a.m. at the Rogue Valley Country Club in Medford. Register your team, volunteer, or skip the dip and donate at plungeoregon.org. The email of the day on the Bill Myers Show, sponsored by Central Point Family Dentistry. See all they have to offer at centralpointfamilydentistry.com and call for an appointment. Dr. Steve Nelson and his staff are next to Mazatlan Mexican Restaurant, just off Pine in Central Point. 106.3 KMED, 99.3 KCMD, and this is the Bill Myers Show. And while we touch into uh, an email or two of the day, I'll do some more later here, too. But uh, I printed out a whole bunch <laughs> over the weekend. I've been sort of remiss on getting these done. But uh, emails, I know I can read them out of the email program, but it's not its not as good. I can't arrange it as well as actually putting it on paper and killing a tree or two. But uh, emails of the day, like we just mentioned, sponsored by Dr. Steve Nelson, Central Point Family Dentistry, centralpointfamilydentistry.com. While you wait... Crowns. They have an in-house lab now that uh, if you're going to get your uh, your crown done, they can grind things down and get it done and get you a new tooth. Same day. Many times. It's really great. Check it out. CentralPointFamilyDentistry.com. Right next door to the Mazatlan Mexican restaurant. And we had uh, Pat write me. And the message that you read the other day about Cliff Bentz. About Cliff Bentz's name showing up in a Breitbart news story disturbs me. I'm a little suspicious about this. We're fighting for our salvation on the right. Who's to say that this person isn't dissing someone from the left? Kind of like January 6th, where Antifa snuck in and carried a handful from the right to join them. I know this as we know personally people who were there. Without verifying the news, it's easy to convince those who don't do their homework. People, be smart, check things out before you start spewing things. Well, this had to do with uh, a story in Breitbart. In fact, I talked about it last Monday, in fact. 
in which uh, I was, and I really got kind of, maybe it was Tuesday, but I was really tweaked about this because people took the wrong thing from a, from a Breitbart story in which uh, Cliff Bentz was mentioned along with uh, a bunch of other Republican lawmakers as going to be pressured by the gang greens to not uh, get rid of Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act green grift. You know, the solar panels and the windmills and, and, and the various other grifts that were going on out there. And people saw that Cliff's name was on the list of these Republicans that were going to be pressured as 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 if he had somehow caved to them, which he was not. And I was trying to remind people, listen, folks, uh, Cliff Bentz did these uh, hearings about stopping these horrendous pushes from the green griff to uh, to pull out the dams over on the Snake River. You know, it's too late to save what happened over on uh, on the Klamath at this point. You know, he, he couldn't, you know, get much traction on that, convince anybody else, but you can stop the further destruction of the infrastructure, right? And so, and I'm trying to get people to understand, and this is why I'm going to bring it up again, this is about showing you that Cliff Bantz and people like him are under attack and pressure. And so you need to let Cliff Bantz know that you have his back. On something like that, it's almost like there was the wrong thing. It's like, well, they're look, they're going to pressure him, which means obviously they look at him as uh, as soft, and we're, we're, well, we need to get rid of him. And so that's the wrong message to take away from uh, stuff like that. Uh, Candace uh, writes me about this too. I think uh, I just wanted to thank you for standing up for Congressman Cliff Bentz. I think I was the only one to tell him at the last town hall how much I appreciate what he does. All right, appreciate the uh, email there, Candy and uh, Doobie. Talking about the daylight savings bill, which I think actually survives so far. It's still uh, going away. It would be no more daylight saving time, but it would be permanent standard time. Doobie says, if we made this current schedule that we're on permanent, like you said, we'd get dark around 830 in the summer. One huge advantage of this is that we could start fireworks an hour earlier on July 4th. Doobie, I love that. Real American salute. For real, yeah, you can do it at 830 instead of at uh, 10. That's good. Eli writes, Bill, Tom from Talent said the other day the problems are voters are stupid. Well, there are just enough stupid voters that the computerized ballot counting machines can't overcome the majority of voters who are not stupid. No issue will be able to be solved until we get back our elections from the machines. I'll give you another Real American salute. Yeah, it's funny. We go to uh, by mail voting and it takes, you know, Election day is like two weeks prior to it, then another week after that before everybody gets things mailed in and you can never have any answers anymore at night and, you know, the same night or even the next morning because there's like counting and counting and counting and counting until the right number comes up. Hey, Eli? Yeah. It's five after seven. We'll catch up on you on uh, Town Hall News now for the rest of it, okay? Okay. <laughs> 